Would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26? We're doing a four-week series entitled, Giving You the Best That I Got or That I've Got. And I'm talking about money, but I'm really not talking about money. Come on, Pastor, what you talking about? I'm talking about passages that deal with money, but the passages really don't deal with money. They deal with the heart. Because when God has the heart, he has the money. He has everything. And I'm trying to approach stewardship from a different perspective than what I grew up hearing where you were kind of guilt-tripped and beaten up in terms of what you needed to do financially for the local church. But it's so much more than that, and it shouldn't be about browbeating God's people to do anything. Last week, we looked at a widow and how she gave two mites. And Jesus said she put in more than the rich, than the wealthy. And we talked last week how Jesus' math is a lot different than our math because his math is a lot higher than man's math. And for God, he doesn't look at the sum, per se. He looks at the sacrifice. He's looking at the heart, not so much what one has in his or her hand, and Jesus saw the sacrifice that this lady made and he called his disciples over to look at her as she gave the Lord the best that she had, which was everything that she had, because he wanted them to see that she was a picture of Christ himself who would in days give everything, give his life on the cross. And he was calling his disciples to give everything as well. The money, that's just a byproduct of a heart that has been surrendered completely to God on a daily basis. Pick up your cross daily. And these disciples would literally have to pick up crosses. These men who were so selfish, so childish, even in the twilight of Jesus' earthly ministry, to be so self-focused, they would one day learn the lesson from the widow and her mites, and that is to give everything that you have to Jesus, to give the best that you have. And today I want to talk about another lady that's found in Matthew chapter 26. Next week I'll talk about a couple of guys uh, in the week after who gave the Lord their best. But today there's another lady I want to look at. Matthew chapter 26 beginning at verse 6. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much more or for much and given to the poor. Verse 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. 
Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So let me talk for a few minutes on the subject of it's not waste, it's worship. It's not waste, it's worship. Let's pray. Father, would you please help me preach? And not so people can walk out of here saying, wow, he's a good preacher. But Lord, may I preach well so that people can understand well. And they can walk out of here saying, my, what an awesome God we serve. So Lord, I get out of the way, yet I stand boldly on the truths of Scripture. These truths that have been challenging me all week long. Showing me, Lord, my deficiencies and calling me upward, Lord, to greater heights of commitment and obedience. Thank you for Mary in the scripture today, how we can look at her example and grow as worshipers, grow this church collectively, but it all begins with us individually. So, Lord, give each person the word they need today. So in the next few minutes I speak, Lord, let them get something from this passage. We promise to give you glory, for we pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. During the greeting time, I talked to a sister who said, I was with you when you guys were at the factory, and this is my first time with you here at your new location. And my mind goes back to those days when we met at the factory, and even when we met at the Franklin YMCA, we, we met there for 10 years. And we would have service and had a good time, just like we have now. And uh, there was this one man who, uh, he did a weird thing just about every Sunday. And some of you will remember him if you go all the way back to the Franklin YMCA days. He would come in late every Sunday. I mean, every Sunday he would come in late. He would park his BMW right in the front of the Franklin YMCA and then walk in late. And sometimes he would wear these muscle shirts with the zipper in the front. I don't know why I said that, but he would wear these muscle shirts and he would walk right down the middle. And he would always come in right before I started preaching. And he would sit down like right up front and he had a big Bible and he would crack that Bible open. He had highlighters. He had pens. He was ready to go. And he would do this every Sunday. And it was starting to become a distraction. He would come in right before the preaching every Sunday. So because I knew the gentleman, I went up to him. I said, hey, man, you know, why do you do that? Why, why do you show up right before the sermon every Sunday? He said, I come for the word. And that was supposed to be deep to me. He said, I come for the word. <laughs> so for him, the worship you know, that wasn't important to him. He didn't come to worship. He came for the word. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who still do that. Now, you may not park outside in the front and come in late. Uh, but sometimes when we are doing corporate worship, the fact that many of us still are uncomfortable or for whatever reason we're not participating in corporate worship it's as if, uh, let's just get past that part and let's get to the meat 
Let's get to the word. Let's get to the Bible teaching. Uh, I just kind of put up with the singing part. Now, you may not walk in late, but in your mind and in your spirit, you do that because you don't want to participate in corporate praise and worship. You're waiting for the word. Well, why do we put those songs in the front anyway? And today was a shortened set. Sometimes we'll worship for 30, 35 minutes. Why do we put those songs? Come on, get to the meat, get to the word. Why do we do that? Well, Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. So as we come into this court, as we come past the gates into his house, before we, want, before we start and position ourselves to learn something about God cognitively, let's give something to God from our hearts. Let's give him praise. Let's thank him in spite of the circumstances. And he's assigned Levites, worship leaders, to help get our hearts in a place where we could even receive the word anyway. Because worship causes us to get our minds on the Lord and to get our minds off of ourselves. To thank and bless God, to reflect on God. And therefore, we're more ready to hear a word from God. So our worship of God is not solely an intellectual experience. But it also should involve the soul, the singing to the Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so we need both. Spirit and truth, worship and word. And today we're going to see a lady in terms of worship. Man, she sets a great example for all of us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Let's walk down this passage together and then we'll let you go. Verse 6 says, and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. So the first thing I want you to see today is that Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house, and this is his Passion Week. These are the final days of Jesus upon the earth. And after he would finish speaking in the temple area, he would retreat back to Bethany and spend the night there. And he had close friends in Bethany by the name of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And so he would retreat, which is about two miles away from Jerusalem, and he would stay the night, then go back and preach and then come. But these are his final days, and the Bible lets us know that in John chapter 12, verse 2, that there was a dinner given in the honor of Jesus Christ. They were honoring him, and it was in Simon the leper's house. It wasn't in Mary and Martha's house. It was in Simon the leper's house. And I love how the Bible lets us know a little bit about him without going too deep into his story. It just tells us that he was a leper, which meant that in all likelihood, Jesus healed him from his leprosy. Because never was a sick person in the presence of Jesus that did not get healed by Jesus. And so when Jesus would heal crippled people, he would say, take up your bed and walk. In other words, use your mat now as a testimony to talk about how I delivered you from being crippled. And in this case, the Bible lets us know that this man once had leprosy. Jesus healed him outwardly, no doubt also touched him inwardly, and now he's opening up his home to host the Lord Jesus Christ. He's throwing a dinner in his honor. Jesus is the honored guest at Simon the leper's house. Now, on this particular day, there are at least 17 people at this dinner. You have Simon, 
You have Jesus and his 12 disciples. You also have Mary, Martha, and you also have Lazarus. And so they're all there, 17 people. And can you imagine the kind of conversation that's going on in this house where Jesus is the honored guest, he's the center of attention, and sitting around the table, you have a man who's just been healed of leprosy. Sitting around the table, you have a man who has just been raised from the dead, and that's Lazarus. But also, you have a lady named Martha, and she's busy serving those 17 guests. Now, she's serving in a better position than how she used to serve. Because if you go back to Luke chapter 10, Jesus had to rebuke her about how she was serving in the flesh. Remember in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is in Mary and Martha's house and Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus to hear the word, but Martha is in the kitchen cooking, preparing for Jesus and all of the disciples. And then she cops an attitude with the Lord because as sweat is rolling off her brow, she says to Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me in this kitchen alone to do all this cooking? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Whenever the Lord repeats your name two times, you know, <laughs> Darina, Darina. He's trying to get to you, spirit. And he says, uh, Mary has chosen what is best, and it won't be taken away from her. And then he goes on to say, only one thing is needed. In other words, just simplify your menu. You don't need all that stuff. Just give me and the boys a casserole. You're doing too much. You should be out here where she is at my feet getting the word. So Mary represents someone who is a worker, someone who is persistent, you know, somebody who probably lives under a, a, a philosophy of works-based acceptance. And that is the more she works, the more she feels she should be accepted by man and by God. She's a performer. In modern vernacular, she's a legalist. She's about dotting I's and crossing T's and doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, but missing the spirit for why the work should even be done in the first place. So in this house where Jesus is the central focus, you've got a man who had a sickness in his body. He's been touched and changed by Jesus. You got a man who was physically dead, but he's been brought back to life by Jesus. You got a woman who focuses on works and performance, but she's been challenged lovingly by Jesus, and she's a different woman now. Because when you encounter Jesus, you just can't stay the same. And in every house where Jesus is, people are transformed by him. People are drawn to him. People have been touched by him, and they just can't get enough of Jesus. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from, but some of us may come to the Lord sick. Yeah, you may not have physical leprosy, but you've had something wrong with you. And only Jesus could touch that place and bring healing, and he is bringing healing. So when you come to the house where he is the guest, your focus is on him and not man. Or you may be someone that comes out of a dead situation where your finances are dead. You, you don't have a job, so your employment, as we just got finished praying, your employment opportunities seem dead. Your marriage seems dead. Your relationships, but Jesus stepped in, and he spoke life to those dead bones, and they came back to life. They are coming back to life, and you know him as a resurrector because I once was dead, but now I'm alive. 
Or you may be like Mary in the house where, Lord, I need to be delivered from my performance-based acceptance. You just love me for who I am because you are love. Let me just settle in that, receive that, believe that, and not try to earn favor by how I work for you. In every house, we've got different stories. But I love it that since Jesus is the central focus of this house, the lepers can come to him. The dead can come to him. The legalists can come to him. And as we lift him up, oh, we have some great fellowship in the house. My greatest prayer is that every Sunday when folks come to this house, they experience Jesus in this house. Jesus. And sometimes they'll experience Jesus through us, our hugs, our words of encouragement. But above all, may they leave out talking about Jesus and not anyone or anything else. But I also have to say to you that not only was a leper in the house and someone raised from the dead in the house and somebody struggling with performance in the house and you had the disciples in the house and in the midst of one of the disciples, you also had a devil in the house because Satan entered Judas. So when I look around this house, this church, where Jesus is the Lord, he is the king of this house, he is the honored guest and we are here to worship him, to enjoy him, to fellowship with him. There are different stories. Some lepers who've been healed and are being healed. Some legalists who have been healed, who are being healed. Some dead folks who have been healed, who are being healed. But we also need to be aware there's some devils in this house as well. Turn to your neighbor and ask your neighbor. No, don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. But there's got to be a few fakes in here. Jesus would be in synagogues teaching. In synagogues, the son of man. And people would have demons manifest, come out of them in synagogues where Jesus was. Because there's this great demarcation between light and darkness. When he comes, something's got to give. And so I don't know your background. I don't know your story. So if you come into this house and you don't know the Lord, I encourage you, you've got to know him. Because right now, your father is the devil. That's what Jesus said. If your father is not God, your father is the devil. You need to be translated from this kingdom into God's kingdom, from darkness into light. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so in the house, Jesus is in the house. Jesus, stay in this house. May there not be Ichabod written on this house. The glory of the Lord has departed. No, Lord, stay in this house. We need your glory. We need your presence. We need your power. We need you in this house. But true worship is going to break off because Jesus is in the house. Verse 7, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So what we see here is true Worship. He's in the house. He is to be worshipped. So this woman comes. Now, this story is recorded in three of the Gospels. It's not recorded in Luke's Gospel, but we find it in Matthew, Mark, and John. John lets us know who this woman is, and it is Mary, John chapter 12, verse 3. This is not the mother of Jesus, but this is the sister of Martha. And whenever you see this Mary in the Bible, she is always at the feet of Jesus. She's mentioned three times. And of the three times she's found in the text, 
She is at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. The word worship comes from the Greek word proskinuo, which means face down, to bow down and kiss the feet. Worship, it involves admiration. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. But it also involves affection. Kiss the king, kiss the Lord, kiss his feet, bless him, love on him. So when we worship, it recognizes who God is, but then our rightful response to who God is is one of respect, but also of love and affection because he is not a cold God. He is a very warm God who wants to be loved on by his children, but he wants his children who love on him to respect his glory because he is still a consuming fire. He is not to be messed with or played with or thought of in a trite manner. And so when Mary comes, she gets down at the feet of Jesus, and she's got this alabaster box, this flask of very costly oil. And according to John chapter 12, verse 5, this oil is worth 300 denarii. What's a denarii or a denarius? It was a day's wages for the people in this day and age. So this was 300 Days wages worth of fragrant oil. So if Mary lived today and she made about $40,000 a year, that would come out to about $109.58 a day. And if you multiply that by 300, that gives us $32,876.71. So if she makes $40,000 a year, she takes 300 days wages of that 40, which comes to over $32,000, and she puts it at the feet of Jesus. So this is a serious commitment. This is more than two-thirds of her salary, if you will. And she lays it at the feet of Jesus. Why? She felt Jesus was worthy of her best gift. Jesus says she kept this for my burial, meaning that this was an intentional move. When he was talking about his death, the guys did not get it, but she got it. And she knew what was going on, and so she said, I'm going to anoint him before he dies. When typically you anointed a body after the soul left the body. But she said, I'm going to pre-anoint him because I see what is about to happen. But not the guys. They're too busy fighting and posturing for position. They hear Jesus talking about, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going into the hands of the chief priest. I'm going to be crucified. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. They didn't hear that. But Mary did. And when she brought that costly offering to the Lord, once again, it's not about the money. It's about the heart and the sacrifice. She didn't just like pour out a little bit and dab it on Jesus. Because somebody would say $32,000 worth, give him a dab of that. <laughs> no, another version, Mark's gospel says she broke the flask. Meaning that she wasn't even trying to like pour out all the fragrant oil and keep the flask which was also, I'm sure, very costly. No, 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 no. She broke it, which meant there's no turning back now. I'm all in. I'm all in in my worship. He is worthy of the best gift that I have. Right. 
I'm giving it to him right now. Even in the midst of a hostile environment where the Christian leaders are questioning and criticizing this woman's act of worship. But is anybody glad she didn't let them legalists stop her? That she didn't let those religious stuffy guys stop her? No, she pressed on anyway. And when she anointed him, the Bible says she anointed him from his head down to his feet. You see, when kings were anointed, the oil was poured on their head. She was acknowledging his headship. By also being at his feet, she was acknowledging his lordship, that she was under him, that she was down at his feet. So she's anointing him from the top of his head down to the sole of his feet with all of the oil, not trying to save some for later or for herself. Here, Jesus, take it all. And then the Bible says that she began to wipe his feet with her hair. So she's rubbing it into his feet with her hair. So she's down on her hands and knees, pouring this on him and wiping it with her long hair. Oh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, that the glory of a woman is her hair. In other words, you know, when a woman has long hair, especially in that culture, that this was her glory. You know, the thing that caused people to look at her and to give her glory. So what she was doing was she was submitting her glory to the feet of Jesus Christ. The thing that made her tick, the thing that made people acknowledge her, she was giving it, surrendering it back to Jesus. What's your glory? What is it that you do well that makes people see the Lord in you? What is that platform that God has given you? What's that thing that you got? Maybe some of you are really smart. That's a type of glory. Maybe some of you are really beautiful. That's a type of glory. Some of you can sing really well. Some of you can manage money really well. Some of you manage people really well. Whatever your glory is, I just wonder, in worship, can you say, Lord, take it all? Because I wouldn't have it without you. I couldn't do it without you. So I'm giving it at your feet, acknowledging where it comes from. Because, Lord, had it not been for you on my side, where would I be? I didn't make this money on my own. I didn't get this degree on my own. I didn't get this wife or this family on my own. This glory came from you, and I'm giving it back. That's worship. I'm laying it at his feet. And I'm repenting of being selfish. She's a great picture of worship to us. Three times in the Bible, she's at the feet of Christ. When her brother died, she's at his feet. When Jesus came to their house, she's at his feet. And in this story, she's at his feet. Now, when Jesus came into Mary and Martha's house, and she chose not to be in the kitchen but at his feet, she was there, the Bible says, listening to the word. And as we're all growing in worship, there is no true worship without hearing the word of God. Hearing the word directly from Jesus. It's one thing to hear it from a preacher. But man, the Lord wants to teach you things that no preacher can teach you. So you've got to take the time. You've got to make the time to sit down alone with Jesus. Open your Bible and say, speak to my heart, Lord. Because he's got something for you. He's got a word for you. And true worshipers, they're going to hear the word. 
But not only that, worshipers will also honor the Lord with their voices, with their bodies demonstratively. They will lift their hands. Don't you give me any of that American crap that you can't lift your hands in worship. The Bible says lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Who do you think you are? You're too selfish. You think if I lift my hands, everybody's looking at me. You fool. Ain't nobody looking at you. We're looking at the Lord. Get off the throne. Acknowledge who's on the throne. Worship him. When I'm struggling to worship sometimes, I start thinking about prisoners who probably wish they were in church. I think about people in hospitals who wish they were in church. I think about people in persecuted uh, uh, countries around the world who cannot worship demonstratively in a public way. And I say, Lord, what's my problem? These hands got to go up to you and say, thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you've done. My voice, no, I can't sing, but I can make a joyful noise. We were at Tanya's graduation yesterday, and they had some worship going on, and I'm sitting in the back row, and I'm singing, and one of the reasons I love sitting up front is that you can't hear me when I'm singing. And I'm in the back, it's flat, it's off. Dude, a couple of rows up front kept turning around like. And I was about to stop, like, man, you sound horrible, man. But I'm like, hey, I don't know him. I ain't gonna ever see him again. So what? Lord, I love you. Maybe the last time I get. So I'm going to worship him. Mary shows us you got to worship in truth, but also in spirit. Because I know a lot of people, they just want that word. Give me that word. But they're not worshiping God. I know people who worship God, hands lifted up. As soon as the guitar, bling, oh, hands up. But they have no substance biblically. So a lot of their worship is just emotional. If you ask them, can you show me a passage in the Bible that speaks about the goodness and greatness of God, they're quick to quote Philippians 4.13 on you because that's all they know. Wait a minute. You're supposed to be a worshiper. You're in the dance ministry. You've got to know more about the God you worship and dance for because the Lord is looking for worshipers to worship him like Mary in spirit and in truth. And oh, I pray when he comes by Strong Tower, he finds people who knows why we should worship him and who aren't afraid nor ashamed to worship him as his spirit dictates. Oh, Mary, thank you, Mary. But then I got to say, man, a different spirit came up in the house. They're worshiping Jesus in the house. The Bible says that the fragrant oil, John chapter 12, goes through the whole house. You see, there's an atmosphere in your house. There's a particular environment in your house. I'm not talking about this church house right now. I'm talking about where you live. That when you walk into somebody's house and you cross that threshold, you pick up a spirit in the house. And is it one of hostility, stress, and worry, and confusion? Or is it a house of peace and worship? And joy and, and love. A house where Jesus is honored as Lord doesn't mean there won't be conflict because peace is not the absence of conflict. No, peace is the stability of God in the midst of conflict. He keeps you when you have your mind stayed on him. He keeps you. 
So I don't mean y'all might not get into it at your house, but when I walk in your house, what's the overwhelming spirit, the environment, the atmosphere? What are people breathing in your house? If Jesus is Lord, it's going to show. But if he's not Lord, you walk into some houses, there's going to be some frustration. Pastor, why do you say that? Because when Mary unleashes that worship and that fragrance goes through the house, here comes the devil. And the guys say, why this waste? Wait a minute. I wasn't even doing this unto you. I was doing it unto him. You need to mind your business because I'm worshiping him. I'm not worshiping you. But you stepped all up in my business with Jesus because as I'm worshiping him in this house, yeah, it's a public place, but it's also a private moment. You all up in my Kool-Aid. You ain't got no sugar, don't know the flavor or nothing. But I love how Jesus is going to step up because she ain't got to say nothing. Jesus is going to say, leave this woman alone. Back up off her. She's a worshiper. Don't stop her. Now, the Bible says the disciples had a problem with it. The scripture says that the word, that they were indignant. The word indignant means that you are fired up about something. You have a righteous anger. So they look at this situation, and they don't think that it's righteous. And they're like, uh, this should have been given to the poor. I'll come back to that in a moment if time permits. So they get indignant. They got this righteous anger. What is she doing? You shouldn't do that. Obviously, she sees Jesus in a way that y'all don't see him, and y'all walk with him every day. So it's possible to walk with Jesus every day and still not really capture his glory like this woman captured his glory. So they're indignant. When really, as they have this righteous zeal, they are wrong as two left shoes. They're wrong. So their indignation, being ignorant, indignant, they were really ignorant. They were indignant, but they were wrong, which means they were ignorant. And the Lord says, leave her alone. Judas is like now, and we know it's Judas from another gospel. So all the guys are chiming in, but Judas is leading it. And Judas says, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. Time out. We know this dude don't care nothing about the poor. All he cares about is the money. Pastor, how do you know that? John chapter 12 says that he helped himself to the money that the ministry took up. So he was like, we could sell that $32,000 worth of perfume, and I could have more money to take out of this coffer whenever I feel like it because wasn't nobody really watching him. They trusted him. He was the banker. They trusted him. It wasn't about the poor. No, he was, it was about money, which is why the next thing that happens after this story is that Judas goes out and he sells the Lord over for 30 pieces of silver. The love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. Man, the OJs had it right, man. For the love of money, it'll make you do all kind of crazy stuff, even sell the Lord out. Now, he may have been thinking about the poor because Matthew 25, Jesus had just got finished talking about you've got to serve the poor. You've got to help the poor. You've got to clothe the poor. You've got to feed the poor. You've got to visit the poor in the hospital, visit the poor in prison. So he's thinking we can take this and give it to the poor. But that really wasn't what was on his heart. Jesus said, the poor you're going to have with you always, but you don't have me all the time. Take advantage of this opportunity to worship me. So this also means that Worship should cost us sometime. Yeah, let's minister to the poor. 
But may we not forget the importance of ministering to the Lord. And because remember the church at Ephesus, they did a lot of works, but they fell from their first love. So they got that old Martha mentality. I'm out here working for God, but I don't have time to be with God. And so to be with God, it costs some sleep. I got to get up early if I'm going to get with God. Because once these kids get up and we got school, I got to pack their lunches, I got to do this. I can't do it at night because, man, they're coming in. Da, da, da. So it's going to cost you to get some time with God. And it's going to cost you because you'll be ridiculed by people. It don't take all of that. For me, it does. Because I've been forgiven much and I'm loving much. So I'm going to worship him. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Because this woman was criticized sharply by a group of men. Oh, I don't have time to even talk about chauvinistic uh, views of men and how men browbeat women. But Jesus came in that culture and he gave honor and dignity to women like no other rabbi in his day. I ain't got time to even chase that one. But it cost her for that moment to come in that house in front of all of these men. Now, Simon the leper ain't had no problem. He said, girl, save me some of that oil. I get down there. Because these nubs came back his fingers. I, I can go do something with that. I bet Lazarus was like, oh, yeah, save me some of that oil. I get down there and do something with them feet. Because when I was dead, he brought me out of that. Oh, I get down there. But the 12, they're elbowing. Uh, who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? Who's going to be the greatest? They don't have time for work. Girl, that could have been used for the poor. You don't care about the poor. You only care about yourself. And when you care about yourself, you will not worship God. When I'm self-absorbed, I'm only worshiping Chris. But when I deny myself and decrease, God is like, now you're ready to worship because it's not about you. It's always about me. Worship. But it also cost her financially. She said, I'm going to give everything. $32,000 worth of worship right here, right now. Can't take it back. I'm giving it. If I had it to give again, I would. And sometimes when we worship God, it costs money. When David became king, he spent a lot of money to get his choir right. He just didn't throw anybody up there to play the organ. No, he had to have skilled musicians. I love what Kurt Whalum said a couple of weeks ago. Christians are so busy making a joyful noise, but what about playing skillfully on the harp as well? And to get skillful folk, it costs money. That sound of worship that we get and enjoy here at Strong Tower, you can't get with people who only went to the fifth grade playing instruments. You got to get some guys, man, who live this thing. And who give it back unto the Lord. They lay it at his feet. And I'm so thankful for the musicians we have in this church. When Solomon built that temple, he spared no expense. Gold, everything, everywhere. And when he took a step, they slew a bull. When he took another step, they killed a lamb. A lot of money went into worshiping God. I'm going to plant a seed right here. I don't want to mess y'all up. I'm going to plant a seed. I'll come back to it a few weeks from now. The Lord allowed us to come into this sanctuary. This is the Lord's house. And we're thankful for it. But we're going to have to renovate this house to honor our honored guest Jesus better than how we're doing it right now. Yes. 
Oh, we thank God for it right now. But I have a vision that this place can be made better uh, from a sound standpoint, from a qualitative standpoint. It can be made better, and it will be made better. But it's going to cost some money. But remember, it's never about the money. It's about the condition of the heart. Because when God gets the heart, he gets the money. So when I come to y'all a little bit later talking about it's time to renovate this sanctuary, get this stage a little bit bigger, do the sound, hang it from the ceiling, get these office tiles up out of here, get this old 1970 wood from the back and contemporize this building to look more like a diverse church in the 21st century. When I come talk to y'all about that, don't look at me like, oh, what he talking about? This is the Lord's house. We're thankful for it. We'll work. I have worship in the bush. It ain't about where you worship, about who you worship. But that don't mean we stay raggedy. The word for the day is raggedy. We had a funeral in here. Could barely get the coffin out because of the way the pews are laid. We want to cut down on that kind of stuff. I want individual seats in here. And not the pews. Ah, okay. I just put it there. Don't stay there. Some I already lost y'all. Let me bring it to a close. <laughs> There's no waste when you worship yeah. the Lord from the right motivation. Yeah. Yeah. It'll cost you personally and maybe even cost you financially. But I love what Jesus said to her. It will not be taken away. She honored me. I'm going to honor her. So whenever this gospel is preached around the world, what Mary did will always come out as a monument of worship and obedience and submission. Oh, my God. She honored Jesus, and Jesus turned around and honored her. So in conclusion, Mary gave Jesus the best that she had, and Jesus received it and honored her. In the Old Testament, it talks about not to come before the Lord empty-handed. You want to honor the king with your best gifts, your talents, your abilities. You want to give back to God. Thank you, Mary, for a great example. So my question is, will you, will I commit to give Jesus the best that we've got no matter what it may cost us and no matter what criticism we may receive? This passage mentions money, but it's really not about money. It never is about money. It's always about the heart. And as God grows us as worshipers, personally and corporately, watch out. Great things are going to happen. Because as Jesus is lifted up in spirit and in truth and worship and all of the glory that he has, power comes down. And the worshiper is transformed from being in the presence of the Lord. You know, after the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came out, that day was poured out. And they had a wonderful worship experience where they glorified God. They then went out and preached the gospel. When I am filled with the Spirit through worship, I can preach to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Because I beheld the glory of the Lord and I can speak and I can share the good news. And so, Lord, as you fill this house and you grow us as a worshiping community, may it translate in how we share the gospel every day, personally and even corporately as a body. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for teaching us that it's not waste. Ah, it's worship. Translate that over to each and every one of us, what this means. Get us past ourselves. Get us out of ourselves. Get us at your feet. Whatever it takes. Grow us. Use us. Bless us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.